0: bob sewell i'm a lawyer in fact i'm a partner at the law firm at davis miles mcguire gardner i started this podcast because my clients always ask me is that even legal i want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives i hope you enjoy the show i hope it is meaningful to you and i hope you learn from it thank you
1: Paul Avalar, thank you for coming on the podcast. Is that even legal? You know, I had you on the podcast in June, 2020, and we're talking about something that you had been working on for years, and that is reform to the civil asset forfeiture process here in Arizona and just generally throughout the country. And one of the things you talked about was how this affected real people. And you listed as one of the real people, someone you had represented, the Institute of Justice had represented. I should say that you are the managing attorney for the Institute of Institute of Institute for Justice in Arizona, which advocates for protecting civil liberties in Arizona. And one of the things you talked about was Terry and Rita Platt, and how they had their assets taken. And they didn't even commit a crime. And I don't want to discuss that today. I I encourage our listeners to go out and listen to what happened then. The question is, we have new legislation. Do we like this legislation, Paul? We do. Thank you for having me back. Uh, It's good to be back to talk about this and
2: especially on on a happy occasion. Yes. Yeah. We do like this new legislation, House Bill 2810, which was signed by Governor Ducey last week, uh, is really a a widely supported bipartisan bill. It passed the House 57 to 2, the Senate 29 to 1. So this is is pretty overwhelming uh, Republicans and Democrats agreeing on this. Um, And the the bill makes a number of of important reforms to the forfeiture system. Uh, The the headline that everyone has been paying attention to really is the conviction requirement. Uh, Arizona will now require a conviction in most circumstances uh, in order to engage in forfeiture or in order to uh, to forfeit property. Uh, And then there's a number of other reforms that go along with that. For third-party owners of property, like the the, as in the Platts case, the parents who loan their son a vehicle, um, and that's when the crime supposedly happens. uh, They used to have to prove their own innocence. Under this new uh, new reform, the government will have to prove that they knew that the crime uh, was going to be committed. in order to to forfeit the property. And then there's a couple of other uh, important changes that go along with that. Uh, One important change is a a prohibition on on waivers, or as a lot of people call them, roadside waivers. These are instances in which the police would uh, stop you, find usually money and say, if you sign this form that says this money isn't yours, you'll never hear from us again. Otherwise we can take you to jail right now, which oftentimes they couldn't, but people would sign away, you know, thousands of dollars because they didn't have a lawyer and they didn't know what was going on. And, and, and that was that. So we've now prohibited that A number of other States have done that as well. Uh, We've eliminated the non-judicial forfeiture system. The one that that the Platts found themselves uh, roped into. Uh, And we've also established a, a statutory right to a prompt post seizure hearing so that people can try and get the early return of their property you know, especially in cases where like it's, it's the car that they need to go to and from work or, or something like that. So all in all, top to bottom, a very good bill, an excellent set of reforms. We're not done yet. There's still problems with forfeiture, especially the profit incentive. But this is a very good reform bill, and we're happy to
1: see it uh, enacted. Let me push back on you a little bit here, Paul, because isn't this an important tool asset forfeiture. And aren't the people who are opposed to it really just pushing back on the police? No, I, mean, I don't it- think I don't think so. I I don't think
2: so on either end. So most of the reforms that we've made aren't actually reforms of what the police do. The waivers issue is most of these are reforms in the 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 prosecutorial process. Okay. Um that, that where we're really making our changes is Uh, You know what does the government have to show or or do in order to forfeit property? Forfeiture is still out there, uh, but you're going to have to have a criminal conviction now in order to engage in it. That makes a lot of sense since forfeiture is based on this myth that there's been a crime committed. Now, in terms of is it an important tool? You hear that claim a lot, but there's really no evidence that it is. Uh, Just last year, for example, the Department of Homeland Security's uh, it. Ig the independent uh, or, or inspector general of the of DHS criticized the federal government's program because there weren't even any metrics by which you could measure is this program succeeding at what it claims to be doing uh, and there have been a number of other studies, including by us, that have looked at data from the feds, from the states, including Arizona, and said actually no, if you if you try and Prove that that forfeiture is being used the way that its proponents say you can't actually do it. So, for example, um, forfeiture increases in forfeiture are not linked to decreases in crime or decreases in in, uh, drug use or increases in uh, criminal prosecutions or clearance rates. And if you look at the money that's involved, like the claim is, oh, we need, this is a tool that allows us to go after the big players, the cartels, the mafia, right? Uh, In Arizona, the median cash forfeiture, that is the half of all, all in in Arizona, half of all forfeitures are of cash. And half of those cash forfeitures are of $1,000 or less. (laughs) So these are really small amounts of money most of the time. Whether they're criminals or not, we can't even tell because, of course, no conviction or even charges are required. But this notion that it's being used to target these big players is just not at all true, given the information that is coming from the
1: very agencies that is doing the forfeiture. So let me ask you this, because this was a lot of the pushback, the cynical people. Not me. I'm not cynical. I promise you. I'm never the one of the cynical crowd. But the cynical people said, hey, one of the reasons why the the police and the, the law enforcement side wanted to keep the old system of asset forfeiture was because it represented millions of dollars into the systems, money that they get to keep. And I think we talked about or someone talked about recently the number in Arizona was close to around about nearby 25 million. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that was exactly right. 24 million through the state
2: system in fiscal year 2019, which is the last year we had data for. Uh, If you add in the federal equitable sharing program dollars, you're up over 26 million. And then if you look at the numbers uh, 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 for the last 20 years, so from fiscal year 2000 through 2019, you were at $530 uh, million dollars through this program. So more than half
1: a billion dollars through forfeiture. And- so that then leaves the question. There's now going to be a dearth in the budgeting process. Are we concerned about that in the ability for law enforcement to do their job? Have we just taken, a, taken away money from them and now they can't do their job? So I think two two responses
2: to that. The first one is if they were budgeting this money that shows just how wrong the system is. Like forfeiture isn't supposed to be the basis of your budget. That's that's very much policing for profit. The DOJ itself warns against doing that because of the 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 messed up incentives, the misaligned incentives for law enforcement that creates. Uh, and so it shouldn't be budgeted. Now, we know it is being budgeted. And, and you know, we all recognize the inherent abuse in, say, ticket quotas. Well, ticket quotas are nothing when it comes to, say, forfeiture quotas, yeah. uh, because the, the, the penalties there are just so much worse and so right. much more life changing. So that's that's problem one. It shouldn't have been budgeted in the first place. And if it was being budgeted, that shows the problem. The second, I think, issue is this, you know, I happen to agree with you like in a system, in a system of divided government, it's the legislature that is supposed to appropriate the money and it's the executive branch that's supposed to enforce the laws. And those two things are supposed to be separate. If there are things that law enforcement is spending this money on that they really ought to have, then it's incumbent on the legislature or the city councils or whoever to to do that funding. but in many instances what forfeiture was being spent on is not necessarily things that city councils had approved there's a, a story out of uh, i think it was green valley um where arizona where uh, the green valley police wanted a, an armored vehicle and city council said no we can't afford that so they police bought one from their own forfeiture funds um those sorts of things shouldn't be happening like anytime you can get around the legislature's power of the purse you've broken down the the, ses- the system of checks and balances we're supposed to have so yes if there are things that should be funded that were being budgeted out of forfeiture funds that's bad for a whole bunch of reasons and we need to do a whole lot of things to to fix that but civil rights and due process don't don't depend on the government's budgets Do the changes go far enough? Our position, IJ's position is no. Um, We think that the gold standard of forfeiture reform remains what New Mexico did six years ago. So in 2015, New Mexico uh, abolished civil forfeiture and they went entirely to a criminal process. Now forfeiture still happens in New Mexico. Uh, But it all happens as part of a criminal proceeding where the accused has, of course, not just the the right to a jury and to have a lawyer provided if they can't afford one, uh, but also to proof beyond a reasonable doubt and all the rest of those due process protections that we take for granted. And New Mexico also abolished the, the profit incentive. In New Mexico, forfeiture funds don't go to the agencies involved. They go to the state general fund, and from there the legislature can can decide how that money is spent, just like they can uh, any other money. We still think that's the best system because it has the the highest uh, individual protections, and it also eliminates uh, the the profit incentive and the the work around the separation powers. We'd very much like to see Arizona and every other state except for the two others that have so there are three states. Uh, that are two states that have followed New Mexico's lead. We think everyone else ought to go that way. Tellingly, you know, New Mexico has not seen an increase of crime uh, or, or anything like that in the six years that they have, uh, uh, they've, they've
1: eliminated civil forfeiture. And so we think that's the way to go. And how did it change their revenues from the civil forfeiture process? Well, you know, I don't know that
2: anyone's actually studied that. Um, you know, part of the problem nationally with forfeiture is uh, those numbers are not always readily available. They're available in Arizona uh, in large measure because of the 2017 reforms that we we enacted, which had a lot to do with reporting. Uh, nationally, I don't know. I don't know
1: that we have those numbers, and I don't know that we have them for New Mexico. Um, absolutely fascinating that these new changes. I'm so glad they came through. I honestly, I didn't think that um, I, I didn't think it could happen. I it, I see a lot of positive progress with these changes. Um, I'm excited that the legislature had the political will to get it done. And a lot of that has to do with the advocacy you've done, Paul, and uh, what you've gone out, you've educated the people, you've educated the legislature. I mean, the first time I heard of this was from the advocacy that you had done. And it, it, it frankly it floored me. Um, it just I, it blew my mind that it that this was America and this was really happening here in America, here in Arizona, especially in Arizona, the land of you know the land where we pride ourselves on being civil libertarians. And so, well done, good job, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. And thank you for having
2: me. You know, this is a this was a a long time coming and there's a whole lot of people who deserve a lot of credit. And you're absolutely right. The, you know, the the political will to get it done was really important, given that this was a a bipartisan supported effort, but really opposed uh, very, very strongly by a lot of law enforcement agencies who a cynic, as you said, might say, uh, (laughs) had had a couple million dollars uh, on the line uh, of their spending. So thanks again for having me. Thanks, Paul.
0: Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable, they're fun. They wanna hear from you. See you next time.